Please open your Bibles to Matthew 16, as we will begin in this portion of Scripture, but I will refer you to others. It is my privilege to be with you this morning, and as I shared in the Sunday school class, I bring to you the greetings of my mother. Uh, my mom and dad were part of this congregation for a number of years, and you guys blessed them mightily, and I thank you so much for that. Now, Lord willing, I hope I'll be able to bless you. As we read Matthew 16, in this portion of Scripture, uh, Jesus is at his halfway point in his ministry with his disciples, and so he asks them pointed questions. And we're going to deal with those questions as we seek to answer the question, what is the church? And uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll all be challenged within that process. In Nehemiah chapter 8, when Ezra opened the book of the law, the people stood out of respect and reverence for the author of Scripture. We believe the Bible, Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, is the Word of God, inspired, infallible, and inerrant. Out of respect for the author of Scripture, please stand for the reading of His Word this morning. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for great wisdom as we approach Your Word this morning. Teach us, O Father God, and remind us that this is not merely an intellectual exercise, but we're dealing with Your Word, and as those who love Jesus, we're to be obedient to that Word. So we commit this time to You, dear Father, for it's in the wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we seek to answer this question, I need to begin with the uh, following up again on the, the admonition of your head of your pulpit committee. Their, their, their task is tough. And you're wrestling with, oh, do we need to get somebody right now? You know, people are looking other places, you know, or, 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 we need, or, or do we need to uh, look for the right one, no matter how long it takes? Well, you know, I don't know. That's in God's hands. And you need to move at God's pace as you seek to do that. But that does not relieve you as those who call yourself followers of Christ from the responsibilities that God has already given to you. Whether you have a shepherd here or not, 
you are still accountable to the Lord. And so, I want to ask a couple of questions as we work our way through this, what is the church? And, and please, as, as we think about this, these questions, please understand, I've probably got more questions than I have answers. But I do know that the Bible guides us. And so as we look at this, we're going to specifically apply one element in our discussion today. First of all, the church is a group of people, individuals, who are drawn together by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of times when people think of the word church, they look at, look at the physical structure, you know, things of that. Well, the, the church is the people. You remember that little nursery rhyme, you know? You know, open the door and, and see all the people. The church is the people. It's not a physical structure. And those people are all unique with different personalities, varying gifts, talents, and abilities, varying interests, all very different. All sinful individuals who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who have been bought, if you will, which is the phraseology that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And these people have been drawn together. And, and when, when you see the, that word together, that doesn't mean that, that you're walking side by side. That idea of together is a meshing, been drawn together to experience a common bond because of their love for Jesus. That beautiful fellowship, which the Greek word is koinonia, which means a sharing in common. You know, as these people are brought together, it's not a social club and, and, and nobody's just alike, you know, off of the same cookie cutter mold type of thing, but they're described as being God's household or God's family. And each one of the people in that fellowship, in that koinonia, are extremely important to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see in Luke's story of the sheep that was lost and the Savior went after, even though he had 99 and he could have just said, well, hey, these, I got 99, who needs this one? He went after that one because every one of those people within that fellowship are important. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old or rich or poor, educated or uneducated. Every one of those sheep is important. Paul, in describing his own ministry, talks about presenting everyone complete in Christ. As he spoke to the church at Colossae and was praising them because of what God has done in their lives, one of the things he told them was that they, the, the love that they had for all the saints. And so when you look at a church, when you think of a church, you're thinking of a group of people whom God has brought together. A group of people whom He bought with His precious blood. And He has drawn them together into that koinonia. And every one in that fellowship is important. Now, be reminded of the stories in Scripture of where the little children were drawn to Jesus. They may not be voting members. They may not be financial contributors. But to Jesus, they're what? Part of His flock. So, when you think of a church, think of the fact that 
These are God's people that He has brought together. The second thing, as you think about this church, this group of people, is that they have a leader. Look at your text in Matthew 16. Remember the question was asked, who do, who do the people say that I am? And, and they gave some answers and, and then he, he, he turned it around. Who do you say that I am? And oh, Simon Peter, you remember how impetuous he was? He just jumped right in there. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah, that one who was promised in the Old Testament. That one has become a reality in our lives. You are the Christ. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You didn't come up with this. God revealed it to you. And this rock, and don't fall into the Roman Catholic problem, when you use Scripture to interpret Scripture, we find that the rock is not Peter, but it is the statement, you are the Christ. It is Jesus who binds all these people together. And upon this rock, I will build. And when you read the Scriptures, brothers and sisters, don't just focus on the big words. There is a critical pronoun here that establishes an important principle for us. Because this is not Jim's church. This is not John's church. It is, upon this rock, I will build What's the pronoun? My church. So the leader of this body that have been drawn together is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, as Paul refers to, the head of the church. He is, as both Paul and Peter make reference to, the cornerstone upon which this church, this group of people are built. He is the one when He addresses His disciples in Matthew 28 in what we refer to as the Great Commission, begins the Great Commission, which remember is, make disciples. You go, you baptize, you teach. And I'll be with you always, Jesus says. But He prefaces it by saying, all authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. And so the King is commissioning His troops to go forth. In Colossians chapter 1, in Paul talking about the, the awesomeness of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, sums it all up by saying in verse 18, so that He might be preeminent in all things, that He might have first place in all things. When we, when we go through our catechism study, we are told that in redeeming us, Jesus Christ fulfilled, the, fulfilled three offices. Remember? All you scholars of the catechism. Prophet, priest, king. Christ is king. He is the leader of this church. He is the one who has saved these people. He has bought them and He's drawn them together. He is the king of the church. Well, what does a king do? He rules, he reigns, he commands. Is there any doubt that he is king? Scripture declares it. Christ is the King of the church. And it is this King, as He sits upon the throne, that rules, reigns, and commands. And as the King commands, 
His soldiers are to do what? Obey. One of the one of the great things for me at Chamberlain Hunt is to coach. Now, teaching is is awesome, but you can teach all your life and and leave and and not felt like you impacted anybody. Maybe years later, you'll find a kid come by and say, "Oh yeah, Mr. Meisner, that you it was great." But hey, on the tennis court, you can teach a principal and you can see them work it out right away. And that, boy, that's a blessing. Kind of balances out the other. But one of the things I have my players do is memorize the charge of the light brigade. Any of you read it? If you haven't, you need to. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson, uh, actual historical event, a, a, a lot of mix-up in the chain of command and, and uh, this kind of thing within the British hierarchy. Uh, but here they some 600, I think the exact number was 627 soldiers charge into a heavily defensed position. And it, it was a suicide charge, 40%, 50% casualties. And Tennyson writes a poem in which he praises the heart of a soldier. No, not, 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 the, uh, not the Crimean War, you know, not the, the, uh, the, the orders, the leaders, but, but to praise the soldier. And there's a line in there that goes something like, Ours is not to reason why, ours is but to do or die. Now, I, I doubt if any of these kids on the tennis team are going to die for me. But when I tell them to do something, what? Now, I, 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 I tell them it's a dictatorship. Benevolent, but dictatorship nonetheless. But any good coach, that's how you approach. You, you, you don't wait around for uh, everybody to agree with you. Uh, you aren't mobilizing uh, popularity or anything like that. You're You're commanding. And Jesus Christ is the King of the church and He commands His people. He commands His church. So, the third thing. What is the task that we've been given? Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. As we think about what our King has commanded us to do, We're going to try to think about how we can work it out as well. John 13, verses 34 and 35 is going to be the focus of our attention. Now, please understand, Judas has already been dismissed. So, who's left in the room? Well, frail, weak individuals, but individuals who loved him, right? 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 And, and, and when you think about the body of Christ, you know, Christ has drawn those people together. Again, that's the importance of the church. All these unique personalities. Some personalities that can rub each other wrong and, and that kind of thing, you see. But all of us redeemed by the blood of Jesus, followers of Jesus Christ, He's drawn together. Well, that's what you have in this room. The betrayer is gone. And Jesus is talking to these men. The context begins in verse 31, but we're going to pick up reading just verses 34 and 35. A new commandment. Oh, remember the king is doing what? 
commanding. Right? A new commandment. Military background, when your officer gives you a command, it's not like, oops, let's have a committee meeting. Hey, let's think about it a little bit. It's You do it. A new commandment I give to you. Now, please understand, this was stated in the Old Testament as well. The emphasis of new commandment is the fact that you have a new administration in play. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Eh, no problem. The word is agape. Yeah, I'll do stuff for each other. You know, we'll kind of, uh, you know, bless each other, whatever. We love each other. Now, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So he uses himself as the model. Keep in mind what had happened earlier in the evening. The Lord of the universe took his robe off and he took a pan of water and he knelt down and he washed the feet of these men. The great king was showing them leadership by serving them filthy, stinking feet. And Jesus was washing their feet. So this was the model of that love. Now, they haven't seen it yet, but he's only a couple of days from, in fact, it was this night, that he has, goes through the mock trial and, and, and then is headed toward the cross. So he ultimately is telling them, just as I gave my life for you, your love is to manifest itself in that same way. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so what he's saying now is that as you show your love for one another, the people outside of the kingdom are going to look at that. And they're going to be impacted by that. They're going to be impacted by the love that believers have for each other. In fact, you, you, you see this very same thing in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul compares the, 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 the Christians to a body. And, and within that, every part of the body is, is, is extremely important. You know, think about, what does my little toe do? Well, it's important. And, and, and Paul uses phrases like, <coughs> excuse me, when, uh, uh, when, uh, when one part of the body hurts, all hurts. When, when one weeps, all weep. When there's joy, we all share that joy together. Romans 12, Paul talks about this one body with many members. But all the members, one of another. There's a unity there. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about this body being built together into a dwelling place of God. The unity of the body in chapter 4, a oneness that comes about. So that as we think of the task, what we're talking here is, is this obvious love for each other. Not just a casual passing in the hall and say, how you doing? But what's happening when you say that? You're walking this way and that person's walking this way. Do you really care how they're doing? No, you're just passing in the hall and you're being cordial. You're pretending like you really care. Oh, how you doing? But it'd be kind of scary if that person stopped and said, what do you really want to know? How much time you got? You want to look in my eyes and see how bad I'm hurting? 
Are we just playing the game here? So the application that I want us to think about today is as the king commands his church. Remember, Jesus is the one who's drawn all of us together, right? And Jesus is the king of all of us. And he put us together for a reason. We don't know what that reason is, but we know that he did. And as you seek to launch into this whole new adventure, you've got to understand an army that is not healthy, an army that is not committed to one another, will not effectively battle the enemy. What I'm challenging you to do is to think in terms of ways in which you manifest what Jesus says, that you're to love one another even as I have loved you. And by this, the world will know that you are mine. Is there such a koinonia here, such a fellowship here, that everybody knows everybody? When I say no, that isn't just a casual knowledge of the person. But the Bible talks more of an intimacy that we know each other well enough even to die for one another if that's what the Lord called us to be. An army that's not willing to do that cannot fight effectively. We are in a warfare. The warfare against darkness and light. The kingdom of Satan versus the kingdom of God. And yet the Christians, the body of Christ, doesn't really know each other well enough I don't think we're willing to die for each other. I remember when I was in a fraternity, and I wasn't a Christian at that point in time, which is kind of interesting because I was president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I gave my, my testimony at the Baptist Student Union. I don't have a clue what I said, but I was playing the game. But in the fraternity, you had a commitment to one another. If, if at 2 o'clock in the morning a brother calls, his car broke down someplace somewhere, what, what would the brothers do? If we had a brother who was in need of, of uh, uh, financial help, you see, what would we do? And of course, the old proverbial, hey, I'll stay up and help you study. <laughs> that never worked because you'd never start studying until 2 or 3 o'clock because you were visiting all night long. But still, there was what? There was that bond there. Is there that bond within First Presbyterian Church of Biloxi? There? Can you go up and down the halls and actually look into the eyes of your fellow church members, remember whom God has brought together, all very unique, all very special, and look at the eyes of that person and know them well enough to know whether they're hurting or not? Because a lot of times a hurting brother or sister is not going to tell you. Because there's a sense in which I know they really won't care anyway. And then there's maybe a sense too of being kind of a martyr complex. I'd rather suffer alone when we need to be praying for each other. How can we pray for each other if all I know is, is the name on a piece of paper? If I don't know my brother or my sister in Christ? Remember, brothers and sisters, it was Jesus who said, you shall love one another even as I have loved you. Well, we're busy. Well, We've got to obey the king. 
So what does the king call us to do? Well, how are we going to fix it? I don't know. Uh, some people use uh, visitation programs where the officers are going to be in, in, in the homes of all the people, you know, ever so often. Uh, some people have it set up on such a system that, 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 that one of the officers is at least going to call that family. They're going to be in the home of that family at least once every six months. Things like this. Uh, maybe even have their uh, people in their own home. Some people use Sunday schools to uh, establish this fellowship type of thing. Somebody, some, some churches use small group Bible study. Some people use Sunday night home meetings. Some people, dinners for eight, you see, where you have people that gather for six months for, uh, uh, to have dinner. So you're going to have dinner six times uh, with, these, with these folks, and then you shift gears. Some people use a pyramid scheme where uh, you know, everybody's got four families underneath their, uh, their supervision, if you will, and it, and it breaks on down uh, uh, in, in, uh, uh, in order to, to, to be sure you get to know people. Some, sometimes it's just, hey, let's go get some pizza. Sometimes it's slow-pitch softball. As long as you don't get caught up in the winning and losing aspect of it. But what are you doing? You know, you're, you're doing things together and you're getting to know these folks. But whatever, brothers and sisters, it's got to be done however you choose to do it. The church is the people. And people, if, if people are tied together relationally, you have a bond. A bond that allows churches to weather difficult times. It begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as you acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior. But it's a personal relationship. And then it flows out of that relationship throughout the body. Think of throwing that rock into that still water and watch the ripples touch every member of that body. The body of Christ. This is His church. It's not ours. His. And He's the King of the church. And if we love the King, we want to be about the King's business. And it starts with a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another even as I have loved you. And by this, the world will know that you are mine. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for great wisdom as we seek to fulfill that that you've laid before us. Father, I pray specifically for this group of people, this fellowship, this koinonia, that their love for one another would not merely be selective, would not be hypocritical, but would be real 
as it grows out of one's personal relationship with Jesus and touches everyone around for the glory of our great King. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.